Welcome to the She Runs It podcast, where we help women succeed in business and life. I'm Nicole DeBoom. And I'm Sarah Ratcliffe. We're two successful entrepreneurs who own and run multiple seven-figure businesses. We came together when Nicole wanted to sell her business, Skirt Sports. Through the acquisition process, we genuinely connected, and then we quickly realized the power of combining our business talent, and together, we make the perfect team. Nicole's an amazing visionary, a community builder, and she excels at creating successful business models. If you're ready to start and conceptualize a business, Nicole is here for you. And Sarah is an amazing strategist who kicks ass in massive revenue growth and building successful systems. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, Sarah will help you do that and more. We believe that business is fun and empowering, and we're on a mission to inspire, connect, and advocate for other women just like you to succeed in business and life. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Nicole. And I am Sarah. We're so happy you're here with us again today. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the imposter syndrome. Kind of excited about this because right before we jumped in, we realized we have completely different thoughts on it, which is very fascinating to me. So before we get started, though, before we talk about imposter syndrome and how we all feel about it and what it is, let's talk about skirts. I kind of want to know about the first skirt. So the gym girl ultra is like the OG the or the greatest of all time. I guess we can call her the greatest of all time. Right. But no, I want to know what, why did you, um, why did you create that skirt? And, and why do you think it's like been a favorite for the entire time skirt sports has been around? Okay. This is so cool. Well, first of all, it was just the gym girl, not the gym girl ultra became the gym girl ultra because it got revised many times throughout history, at least in the early days, as we figured out the things that needed to be improved. But it's really funny, Sarah, when I had this idea to create a product that would like both cover your butt, but also provide everything you might need for performance, but also maybe give you a little more confidence that may even manifest in sex appeal. You know, I, I was Mm -hmm. slapping different styles of skirts on the wall and I literally had five styles that we started with three were performance and two were for fun. So (laughs) the performance was the transition girl, the marathon girl, the gym girl, and then we had the party girl and the school girl. So (laughs) so funny is that when we launched the company, it was just like, I don't know what's going to work. So we're just going to try all these things because these are all the different ways that I would wear skirts. And the number one style of those five that sold out very quickly, like within a month, was the gym girl. And the the gym girl was the skirt that had the built-in shorts. And we called them shorties, right? And we made them five inches long, which was like the perfect length to go just over the hump. That's what I called it. You know, that little spot on your thighs, the chub rub spot. It went over it because anything that was out in the market, if it was shorter, it just rode right up into your crotch. And if it was longer, it stuck out under the skirt. And I 
just like we fiddled around and we just found that perfect length. And um, I, I noticed, of course, right away that women were gravitating to it. And what I realized was that it was the perfect skirt for every body type. And that is why that skirt was magic. And that skirt has stood the test of time and is in like year 17 or 18 of its existence. But I will tell you something really funny in the very early days, we were probably, I think the first company to put those pockets on the thighs, right? Yeah. And they were, yeah. we put them on the thighs of the gym girl and I'll have to put a snapshot of a first generation on there. They were so small because their right. goal in the beginning was to fit a credit card, not a phone. Not a phone. No. Right. But we, there weren't but even we, iPhones then, I don't think. No. Maybe we had an like, iPod. Yeah. We were like, you could use your MP3 player. And when we realized people might do that, we sewed a buttonhole just under the waistband. Right. And that was the way people could put their cord up and out without, you know, like pulling their skirt up. So it was it was a slam dunk from the beginning. The shorties were amazing, didn't ride up and women felt beautiful. So that all those things that like trifecta there, that is why the gym girl has stood the test of time. Well, that makes sense. It also, you know, we were talking about naming. We actually have a couple new skirts coming out that we're working on. We were talking about what we're going to name them. And I was like, I'm not sure why everything's been named what it is. But when you just said gym girl, um, party girl, school girl, whatever all those are, they all were named girl, right? So that's where happy girl came from then, which is yeah. our like one of our top selling ones as well. So very, thank you for the history. I just well, got new education. Well, you know, it's funny too, because the word girl, it was so weird that we just sort of like, I looked at these styles as the people wearing them. And mm -hmm. so I was like, it's not like a gym skirt and a marathon skirt. It's like a it's like a living, breathing thing. It wasn't. It went on a living, breathing thing. Yeah. But it just felt like it, it needed, had a personality. Yeah. It needed to be its own person. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and you know what I love? Because as you're talking this over, because this was what, 17 years ago. Yeah. It makes me realize how, how much our culture and society has even changed. I mean, back then, what, no wonder you had a school girl, because what, Britney Spears was like doing her schoolgirl thing and hit me baby one more time. And like, you know, I really, I think um, our culture has changed and, and started to embrace women more as powerful, you know, in, in the number of different roles that we have. And you'd think 17 years wouldn't make that big of a difference, right? We're all, but it, it really has, especially when you think about recently the Me Too movement and some of the different things that have occurred our society has really started to change in how we look at, at women. So, well, we always like to reward you with not only our conversation, but with a discount for listening. So if you're listening and want to try the gym girl ultra or want to try any of our fabulous skirts or leggings or bras, we'll talk about bras next time. Um, oh, we should talk about, we should do a boobs episodes. Um, that would be a fun one. Anyways, you can save 20% with the code POD20, P-O-D-20 for 20% off your order just for listening. And we're going to, I think, transition into our convo about imposter syndrome. 
Yeah, I think you're the way you kind of summed things up is that over the last 17 years, there's been this just big, huge wave of empowerment in many ways. And like, you know, women often felt like they had to hide parts of who they were in order to achieve the things they wanted to achieve. And what we've you know, try what we've been riding the front of the wave on is this like hope and dream that we can stop doing that and that we can be fully ourselves within the process that we're working in, you know, with these dreams and goals yeah. that we have set for ourselves. And yet there still seems to be um, a dynamic where we just don't feel like we're walking in the shoes that we want to be walking in, or we're trying to convey something um, different than how we actually feel. And that I think is at the end of the day, imposter syndrome. Sarah, do you have a definition printed out here? I do. I would love I to do hear have it. Because I think, you know, there's a, been a lot of buzz around imposter syndrome. And I, and when you and I discussed it, we said, well, we should look this up, right? The official definition so we can have something to kick off from. But imposter syndrome is doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud at work. I guess it doesn't have to just be at work. Sorry. Let me, let me double check my definition. Cause I'm not sure I read that one correctly. <laughs> let me, let me try that again. I feel like I missed something. There. I think there's a lot of, okay. see, are Here you like, is. you're apologizing. Are you feeling like a fraud right now, Sarah? Totally. Cause I printed it out and then it didn't like come out. Right. Okay. Here it is. Imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. Many question whether they're deserving of accolades. And what I think is interesting is that in the studies that have been done, it tends to affect women at a higher um it's just more prevalent in women in general, which is not, not surprising um, given, you know, and research does support the fact that women in professional um, careers often have to do twice of what men are doing to, to prove themselves, or it, it's, a, it's a fact, you know, that, that truly does happen. And that, that we're also carrying a number of loads with children and families in addition to professional work. So it's, you know, it's a surprise that it disproportionately affects women as well. And it's funny because we hopped on and I was like, okay, well, we're going to talk about this. And I was like, but really doesn't everyone feel this way? Cause I, I a hundred percent believe I have imposter syndrome. Like, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Like I have, I'm still learning. I not, but, but beyond learning, like I truly, I truly feel like someday I'm just waiting for people to figure out that I'm a fraud. I truly feel that way. And I've heard that from another number of women. And so we were talking about this and Nicole, you said something very different, which was, I don't know if I've ever felt like I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> You were like, what? Great. You were like, because we like, all have it. And I was like, I don't think I have it. And I was trying to dig back into. And so let me tell you, since we've been talking right now, though, there's something that's sort of bubbling up in business. I I did not experience a high level of imposter syndrome. I just didn't. There were times I felt a little bit out of place and we can dig into that. But 
for the most part, I kind of felt like I deserved to be there. And I worked hard and the things that I achieved, I felt like I earned and, you know, all the things that are not imposter syndrome. But let me tell you something. When I had my baby at 40 years old and every day woke up, I, I often felt like I had no idea what I was doing and how could I have become a mom. And so maybe, and I still feel like that sometimes as a parent. So it's possible that I might have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, how could I be raising this child? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing kind of thing. Um, Like, you don't deserve to be a mom. Maybe I'm experiencing it a little bit in that sense, which is not usually what we maybe think about when we talk about. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, Yeah, because when you say that, I don't, I feel that less, I don't, I don't feel that when I think of my children, um, I feel like, like that was a role that I was kind of meant to, like, I feel pretty confident in that one. Not like I listen, we all F up often as parents and don't know what we're doing, but I don't necessarily feel like, Oh crap. Is somebody going to figure out that they let me have a kid? And (laughs) I mean, I've had a couple of days like that, but yeah. So I just, I think that's really, I think that's really, interesting and I wish I understood where it like I wish I understood where it came from you know like how do you actually um what what causes it so I thought this was interesting uh later on in the article um they as they described it a little bit more they said um that despite outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, women who experience the imposter phenomenon persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise, (laughs) which is crazy. And it says in here that women from Hollywood superstars like Charlize Theron and Viola Davis to Sheryl Sandberg and even Michelle Obama, um, have confessed kind of experiencing this. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. So, you know, if you're listening, I'm wondering, um, you know, a, have you heard of the imposter syndrome and B have you ever, have you felt this way before? Um, I remember speaking on stage at, um, it was, um, with the fellow flowers. So I spoke, um, at one of their, um, at one of their get togethers in San Diego with, um, a woman named Erica Hill, who she's an, an anchor woman on CNN, like has her own show. Like she's awesome. All the things. And and that's actually was the topic of what she talked about was really like feeling like a fraud and, and that kind of thing. So it's just really interesting that it permeates across so many women. So you said something interesting because you said that um, when you felt like you weren't sure or whatever that you would ask, kind of just ask questions. So tell me a little bit about how you felt in business and, and in your career. Well, I, you know, I feel like you asked earlier, what causes this? Is it a lack of confidence? Is it insecurity? Is it being told throughout our childhood that we're not good enough or like, what is it that causes it? I don't know if there is, you know, a a body of research that shows that, but 
I went into business feeling very confident at a very confident stage in my life. I was in my early 30s. I was coming off of a career that was physical in nature as a professional triathlete. I had won lots of races. I had a great self-esteem. I just felt like I was a badass. I really did. That's awesome. And, And the feedback I got about this idea and moving into becoming an entrepreneur, it was generally positive feedback. And maybe it's possible that I developed quite an ego. (laughs) I'm just going to admit it. I mean, I know that in the early days of skirt sports, my ego was really pretty strong, like big and powerful. Uh Like, I felt like the shit. And I, if I didn't know something, I didn't feel like it would make me look less to ask a question about it. I mean, I was trying to learn about manufacturing. There's no way I could go to a factory and pretend I knew what I was doing. I had to ask questions. And um, I just, there was something inside me that just, I don't know, I felt empowered even. It's like I I changed the dynamic and was like, I'm going to ask questions and feel even stronger by asking those questions. And people never made me feel stupid. And if they did, I don't remember it. Or I probably just walked away and moved on because I didn't need that kind of energy. So are you telling me that for all of us to overcome um, imposter syndrome, we have to win an iron an iron man, because I'm not sure I'm just teasing. I know you're not saying that at all, but I love it because that's, it's wonderful that, that you felt that way. We don't, I think women don't feel that way enough, you know, empowered in control that we can ask questions. If I, I, now I will say over time, as I've gained confidence um, and, and had successes, you know, it's changed for me over time. I feel less of an imposter at times than, than other times, which is great, but if we could all feel the way that you feel. So do well, you have a recipe for success? No. Well, I think part of this though, is you don't need to win an Ironman, but you, you need to focus on the wins you have. And yeah. I mean, if the, you know, hashtag winning means like, you tied your shoes and got out of bed and did all the stuff like then focus on the little things that went well and make you feel good because I do think confidence does play a role. And I don't know how ego ties in because people talk about ego usually in a negative way. I don't know that it's necessarily a negative thing to embrace the fact that we all have some level of ego. Maybe it's just that, how much you let it drive you could be. (laughs) Well, I don't think women have enough ego. Right. And, and when we do, we're often told that we, that we shouldn't, you know, there's a certain role or approach. I know when, I mean, I can tell you a number of situations and maybe that's why I feel more of this way is like, I was often told, you know, not to let my star shine too bright and, you know, to give other people credit for, for what was due to them. And and not that I, I don't think that, I think it can just be partly to who you're surrounded with, whether people lift you up, you know, or, or whether they don't, I was asked to, to fit in and sit down and, 
stop talking so much, you know? So I don't know how much that. I will say well. there, this is also kind of interesting because when I started skirt, I still had a drinking problem that was pretty prevalent in my life. And mm-hmm. I had not yet tackled my alcohol demons. And, you know, we often, I think, use various crutches, substances, addictions, whatever they are, to help us feel like we're bigger, better, you know, happier than we may actually be. And so when I did tackle my alcohol addiction and stop drinking in 2008, I, uh, I was definitely humbled. And I felt... Um, uh, just less comfortable in my yeah. own skin for a long time. It took a long yeah. time. And so, you know, when you're in business, this is well before child, thank God, <laughs> you didn't have to experience me in that way. But um, with the business, I just, it, I did take a little bit of a backward step. And maybe I, I think that when you really get down to your naked self and who you are with nothing to help you cover up those insecurities, it does take a while to settle in and uh, become comfortable again. And that's, I had to go through that process. So I think maybe there were some times during that raw era, the few years around kicking that addiction that I was able to, I felt like more of an outsider um, but mm-hmm. I would just extricate myself from those situations and move on <laughs> because they weren't healthy. Right. So like yeah. when I think about you and who you are and the badass you are in the empire you're building and the path you wove to get here, I don't often think of imposter syndrome. I think of somebody who's kind of kicked and scratched your way to this place of, you know, excitement and I don't power might be the right word or it might be the wrong word, but like you're, you have an opportunity to help people change their lives. So it's really interesting to hear you feel insecure about that yourself. Have you seen yeah, your own changes along the way? You know, I have, I think it's interesting. Um, I was just reviewing this article again, too, because one of the things that it talks about is um, being in a place where you are not the dominant one. So I've often, you know, my career was in. So before I went into kind of business or the business of sports, I was in social work and I was surrounded with um you know, other women of similar minds to me. And I don't remember feeling that way there. It was more when I like went out of my comfort zone and, you know, my family didn't, we were farmers. My mother was a librarian. She was in, she was like the business director of the light of the library, but you know, we, I'm, I'm in a, a career in a field taking on a business. Um, nobody's done that. Nobody's done what I've what I'm trying to do, you know, and I don't come from a a family of wealthy business owners or, or any of that. I mean, I'm, I, in fact, I, sometimes I wonder how the heck I turned out like I did, like, what, why do I want to do the things I want to do? Because it's so different from, 
from where I grew up. And this article seems to um, support that as well, right? Like, so if we're in more of these sort of male dominated um, formats of, of corporate world or, or somewhere where that doesn't necessarily embrace who we are, um, it can make sense that we feel like imposters, right? Because, because we're breaking barriers. There's not as many women in leadership. There's not as many women in executive roles to mirror, right? So we're looking at these. I remember asking one of my leaders who is a man, you know, I was like, how, when I like, so women, we often hug each other, right? We greet each other. We hug each other. Well, it's inappropriate in a corporate situation for a woman to hug a man in like, I mean, maybe it's not anymore. I don't know. But, you know, I remember having this conversation with him and he was, it, it, it didn't even, he, I think he thought I was crazy <laughs> because he's never experienced that before. Right. Dudes greet each other and they shake each other's hands and, you know, all is good. And they talk about some sports and it's like, you're, that's their world. Right. And so I've got to wonder, and that's really this article supports that as well as, you know, women, women of color, uh, women of different sexual orientations, transgender women, anything like that. We're in a, a, we're not in our element. And I've got to wonder you as leading a business in a women, like now that I own skirt sports and I run my own company, I feel more comfortable in my skin. I feel more surrounded by people who understand me or I'm doing the work that I want to be doing in modeling it in the way that I want to be. So I'm not trying to be something different. So I find it fascinating what this article really tries to say is that rather than saying that women need to focus on overcoming imposter syndrome, it's more that we need to change the environment in which women operate. And so that they feel like it's more, similar to, to them. Does that, does that make sense? Like maybe we feel like imposters because we are not fitting into wor the world. The world doesn't feel quite right for us because it wasn't built for people like us. We're actually in the process of changing the world a little bit, if that makes sense. It totally does. And it also makes sense that I felt like a force, not an imposter, because I was finally creating something that allowed women to actually be who they always are instead of hiding yeah. that part of them and putting on men's clothes to go out and work out. So it takes like balls to go and do something different and like push a, a wave forward. But when you here's the thing. There is power in the support of other women for you on your journey. And I got that support right at the beginning. And you inherited that support, but you had to re-nurture it. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. you you were already building things that were all about helping women feel great about themselves. So you just yeah. made your world bigger. So, yeah. I did. Well, because yeah. before that I was putting on races, which is honestly, that's a male dominated field as well. Like there's hardly any female race directors, you know, there are not women like me. So I was like, Oh man, I don't like, I don't fit in. They, they weren't worried about what kind of wine they were serving at the end of the race. They were trying to figure out how they could make a fat 
a flat and fast course, which is important to me as well. But as a woman creating an experience for other women, it, the nuances are important. They weren't thinking about how does the tech shirt fit? And I was like, well, is that tech shirt going to be a V-neck or is it going to be a round neck and what color? Because it matters because women care what they're, they're putting on. So in that fashion, it was like, I, I did, I always kind of felt like, man, what am I doing here? Because I don't think about the same thing that these male race directors are are thinking about. So it's interesting now that we talk about it because I feel with skirt sports, I think in inheriting that from you, I do feel less. I actually feel like I'm finally in my own skin and operating more. Like I know how, you know, not that there's not still moments of self-doubt, but I feel like, okay. And I do, I feel more comfortable asking questions and I'm surrounded by a team of kick-ass women, you know, who are supporting me and we have great conversations. Um, So I don't know, this is an interesting topic. It is. And, um, you know, it takes a trailblazing person to take the torch of a trailblazing company. And like you, no one else could have done this. No one else could have taken skirt sports except for somebody who yourself had felt those sort of like inadequacies. And now as you're pushing yourself forward and into the power that you truly have in this world, it feels much more comfortable and natural to build this empire. And, you know, it is not the hardest thing is to create a new category because you're asking people to change the way they think. And yes. when 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 skirts were created, when when I came out with the first running skirt, people were freaking scared. Like literally, we got like some hate mail in addition to all of the beautiful love. You letters. got a hate mail about skirts. Yes. yes, it was the most polarizing topic for probably five was years. It from women. It was from women who did not like like the fact that I said, you can look cute while you're out running. They were like, why should I have to look cute? They were more hardcore. Usually Um, they just didn't. And I said, I don't care. You don't have to wear this product. I'm giving people another option. And also it will cover your butt in case you didn't want that to show like it has been. Um, But, you know, not only did we create a new category by creating skirts, that was not a category on websites that did not exist. People didn't know where to put these things. Five years later, it was on every company's um, website as its own product category. But we were at the forefront of creating this movement of women-specific brands. Title IX had come before, Athleta existed, um, and Lucy existed, but they were in the early days too. And now there are so many women-specific companies. But back then, I sat at tables with men for the most part in the outdoor industry, because there was no industry for fitness women. It was outdoor gear or running like Nike. You just didn't have an in-between. So that was a gray area that we had to plod through, but you're going to have, we're going to have more of these shifts over time too. And you just have to decide with each step, what side you want to be on and then own it. 
So back to this point of like, how do you overcome this feeling of being a fraud? You know, I could point back to our um, our episode we did on vulnerability and being open and owning who you are and not trying to hide it. It's when you try to hide because you're insecure that this yeah. imposter feeling is just going to grow and grow and grow. I, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I thought the same. I kept thinking back to that. I was like, I wonder if, you know, when we talked about that, I, I do have a number of insecurities and I rather than, than voice them or share them with others. I just hide them and hope to God somebody doesn't figure out like, you know, all these different things about me that, you know, I somehow believe if you figured them out, you just wouldn't like me. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and so I've got to think that that lends itself as well. Right. And, and you said, you said you ask a lot of questions, you know, and I've, I've started to, learn that a little bit more. I always felt like I had to have the answers. And if I didn't have the answers that then I wasn't good enough. Um, and for you not having the answers wasn't a reflection on you. It was just like, Oh, Hey, I need some information. Somebody share it. And I, I've always thought that you have such an amazing, you'll always tell me you were so connected. And I don't know if it's because of where you are as a pro, as a professional triathlete, or if it was where you were in Boulder at the sort of mecca of of entrepreneurs, people who wanted to change the world, you have a, a, a like a posse of of other business owners that you have connected with, and I would say I don't have that at all, right? So you were surrounded by other people who were in similar situations, right? Everybody's like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I want to make Lara bars and I want to make, you know, lights that you wear while you're like, whatever you had other people in your similar situation who were trailblazing. And I don't, I don't feel like I have that, that group of people to, to have support from, you know, or learn from, or be in the same situation from, um, so well. building your girl gang, <laughs> another previous episode, I love it. Just bring this in. I mean, bring in all the different <laughs> episodes, build, build your girl gang, persistence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we talk, I mean, it's just interesting how all of this comes back around yeah. and, you know, you and I are similar creatures, but also very different. Um, and, and how the, the different nuances of our personalities filter in and out of, of some of these things. So I love it, but I also know we're out of time. We're out of time, but you know, we're being honest about it. So we're not hiding that and we're not being imposters. Um, you know, I am so curious where your experience falls. Are you in the Sarah camp where you do totally relate to the imposter syndrome concept? Or are you in my camp where you're like, I don't, I don't know if I ever really felt that. So let us know, let us know where you yeah, lie and do. let us know how you, how you overcome because there's power in all of us connecting together. We know that that is one way to stop this thing. Yeah. And Nicole, you said, how, how can we overcome this? You know, I think the first thing, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about that. I feel like I have this 
syndrome. So I think the number one thing is just like us starting to talk about it, opening the conversation up like, Hey, you're not alone. If you feel this way, you're not alone. Um, and, um, and I think that's the I think that's the first conversation to have is here's how I feel. Cause we talked about that in our last podcast episode, that, that, that connection with other people being honest allows other people to tell you they feel the same way. And then you go, Oh, sweet. I'm not the only one. There are more people who feel like me. So thank you for spending the last 30 minutes with us. We appreciate your time and your listening ears. And um, thank you for everything. We will talk to you in the next episode. All right, everybody unzip that imposter suit and live in bathe in who you are right now. And we will see you next time. We'll see you next time.